entrepreneurship is one thing, but within that is these multiple branches and all these multiple dimensions of my interests. So I think that actually accepting that maybe there are multiple things that you can be pulled to and you can actually make something with that instead of feeling like you have to find the one thing. I think that's the concept that's not vibing with me. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to episode 135 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Hannah Dixon, the founder of Digital Nomad Kit, which is one of the largest training programs for virtual assistants that to date has helped train over 12,000 VAs. You are going to learn three important things from today's interview. Number one, how Hannah stumbled on the digital nomad lifestyle and why in some ways she was always destined for it. Number two, you will learn why becoming a virtual assistant is an incredible way to become a location independent. And finally, Hannah and I discussed strategies the VAs and freelancers can use to strengthen their business and make it more reliable for the future. But before we jump into this awesome interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Nomad Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email with all the top news from the digital nomad world, so you never get left out. From upcoming conferences in new digital nomad visas to technology breakthroughs and the newest developments in remote work, this is the easiest way to become a nomad insider. It's completely free, and you can sign up at thatremotelife.com forward slash nomad insider. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I have made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Hannah Dixon. All right, Hannah, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking about this when I was like doing research for this podcast is that the last and first time we've seen each other in person was actually in Guanajuato. I don't know if you remember this when we like walked past each other. Do you remember do. that? Drunkenly. It was <laughs> it was it was so funny because Sarah and I were walking down with some friends like down the street in Guanajuato and we walked past you and both Sarah and I at the same time were like, was that just Hannah Dixon? And we turned around and you were also looking back like, was that Mikko and Sarah? That was so, yeah. that was, you know, it's a small like, oh, world. Oh, tourist. And it was yeah. you. <laughs> it was a good time. Was so yeah, this has been a long time coming. I'm super, uh, super excited to have you here. Where are you at the moment? You're, you said you're in Germany, right? What, what brought you I there? I am. Uh, so my wife is German. We're visiting family for the holidays and then uh, we'll be back on our nomad way. And are you, did I hear this correctly? Are you coming back my way to Mexico after that or at some point? 
I'm heading to Thailand first for a few months, and then we're going to come back to Mexico for six months. We had a house sit there in Guanajuato, so really oh, excited okay. for that. We did talk about this. Yeah, I think yeah. you like come in like a few days after we leave or something yeah. like that. Always the way. Um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people are heading to Thailand now that they've reopened things. Like, what are you most excited about getting back to Thailand? Honestly, personally, I'm kind of looking for a home base of sorts right now. Um, and Thailand is on the cards as a potential um, with their sort of Thai elite visa packages. So my wife hasn't been before. So this is just an opportunity for us to see if it's somewhere that she thinks she could lay some sort of semi nomadic routes. So we're just going to check it out for a few months. I'm, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the same as it always used to be. Um, and, and I'm fully aware of that. But I think that just going there now is also, are we okay with being there? in the climate that it's in right now, if that were to continue as well. So it's kind of just feeling it out. So supposedly I heard uh, that they might be introducing a new digital nomad visa that is different mm. than the elite visa. I don't know if you've heard about that. There's no con confirmation on that yet, but supposedly it's in the works. So I, I mean, I'm sure that's going to be, I'm sure that's going to be something that a lot of people are looking for afterwards. Absolutely. I feel like they see this all the time and then it's just like this big flop that no one's actually eligible for. So we'll see. Yeah. So how do you, you said that you're planning on doing a home base there. Like how do you define a home base? Because like Sarah and I also use that term a lot for different things, but I feel like we all have different definitions for that. So what do you look for in a home base? Like what does like the, the home base as a definition mean for you? I guess it's somewhere that I can have a community to come back to whenever I, whenever I am in town, because the truth is whenever I have had home races in the far in the, in the past, I do actually leave for months at a time still, but it's a place to leave my stuff and know that's there. I, I need that peace of mind sometimes, especially uh, with the pandemic. I found myself feeling really like I, I need a place to come back to. Um, and so that that's really why this is so important to me right now. So community, um, convenience. I like cities of convenience. Bangkok is my city of choice for that. Um, honestly, just a really nice small place to leave my stuff while I, while I roam. I want to have more stuff. Is that bad for a nomad? I think that's kind of like a taboo, isn't it? I want like a PlayStation and stuff. <laughs> you know what? It's funny because I feel like when we become digital nomads, we get like berated with this like minimalism kind of like thing. And like, I get it. I did it. I'm over it. Do you know what I mean? Like I Same. also want some things like there's like, a few things that like I've been talking about a lot for a few months now where they're like, what are the completely unnecessary things that you travel with, but that make life just a little bit better? You know, like I travel yeah. with an AeroPress and like, so I can make good coffee. We have friends that travel with like a Wi-Fi router that is really good, which I thought was really neat. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I totally feel that. How do you do that though? Like out of curiosity, like what's your way of having someplace to leave things behind like are you getting like do you plan on getting like a long-term rental that then you just kind of like know you're not going to be able to sp spend every month there or like how do you do you have some sort of other tactic for that uh up till now it's just been rentals but i am considering in the next year or two purchasing something that will be either in thailand or mexico um so that obviously if i do lose interest because i do lose interest pretty quickly i could rent that out or, or sell that on down the line so I, I think you know up to now rentals but possibility of real estate soon gotcha now i want to wind the clock back a little bit to when you were 16 because i heard that this is kind of like when you got bit by the travel bug that you went and you did a european uh 
like train trip around Europe, which sounds like it's out of like a travel movie or a book or something. That's that's very cool. But what was it about that trip that you were like, okay, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want travel to be a part of it. Like what happened during that trip that made you want to include that for the rest of your life? Mm. First, I just want to say uh, you, you did some serious digging to find that story. I don't even know where that is online. <laughs> um I think what happened was I was actually talking to a teacher and it was coming up to that in, in the UK, we have like a six week holiday um, in school and it was coming up to that. And I was like, I don't know what to do in the holidays. Like, should I, should I get a job or I don't know? And she was like, well, you have a passport, right? You, you can go to Europe. And for instantly I was just like, oh my God, I can, I can literally, I'm like a sort of an adult now. I can do this stuff. Um, and I had always, always been fascinated by travel. I spent my, uh, you know, my childhood years, looking at maps and looking at books and reading stuff, Lonely Planet, all that stuff, but never actually doing it. So once I realized it was actually possible, there was simply no going back. The trip itself was fantastic, but it was more that moment of that sort of revelation, knowing that I was at an age that I could actually do all these things I'd been dreaming about. Um, and it was kind of just a no-brainer for me. It's always been ingrained. I traveled a lot as a child as well. My, I come from, uh, my mom is from the US, my dad's from the UK. So we were back and forth, you know, literally travel was a part of my my growing up so I guess it was just an extension of that and and doing that on my own sort of terms was just something I always wanted to do um, but yeah that, that trip was kind of like the the no-go back after that yeah it sounds kind of like similar to my experience because growing up you know like when I immigrated to the U.S. I was at this age where like my personality had already developed as a Bulgarian and so I never quite you know, like I always say, like when I was in America, I was the Bulgarian kid. When I was in Bulgaria, I was the American kid. And so I was always mm -hmm. like, all right, there's like a bigger world than this. It kind of sounds like you had a similar understanding. Did you spend some like serious time in the U.S. or was it more like travel based? I'd say it was more travel based in my teens. I spent more time there. And then um, actually after that trip, I went there for a year and worked there. But um, I'd say I was definitely more aligned with the U.K. sort of side of things. But it did definitely open my eyes to there's a bigger world out there. I grew up in a pretty um, rundown suburb of, of London and it broadened my horizons from that. And, and I feel like that um, really gave me a big sort of sense of who I wanted to be in the world. Um, and also just my mom, like seeing her immigrate from the US to the UK was, you know, I guess I've kind of followed in her footsteps. And yeah, I, I, I guess it did make a big impact still. And did you go to like university after school or were you just like, because I know that you, you mentioned that you like worked in New York and that then you did a whole bunch of like workaways. So did you like skip university and go directly into that or did you study in university or uni as it's called in, in England? No, I didn't do the whole uni thing. Um, I, I started to, I, I really struggled in school. I have ADHD and I had like super executive dysfunction um, as a teenager. So I didn't excel in anything apart from the arts, which didn't, served me well as soon as I lost interest um so I went to university started studying art well like a pre-university course because I had bad grades um and I, I very quickly left that and and went back out on the road so no I, I skipped went straight into the working world and uh and that was it really so how did that transition into you kind of getting started working online because I know there's a few years there where you were just traveling and you were working wherever you were, or you were going back home to make money and then heading out again, which is funny because uh, a mutual friend of ours, I believe Jason Moore kind of has the same story where he's like, you know, like yeah. I left and like, I'd go like travel, then I'd come back and I'd work, make money and then leave again. So what did you do in yeah. those years when you like didn't have your online business? 
Yeah, so like you said, I did lots of workaways, uh, work exchanges. I worked on farms, I worked in bars, I worked in hostels, restaurants, um, you name it, and, and I did it. Um, and like the priority for me was always traveling. It, it didn't matter. Like and for some reason, I was so attracted to this lifestyle that it didn't matter what I was doing as long as it was a new experience. And I guess looking back, if I'm really honest with myself, a lot of that was running away. Um, but as I, as I sort of matured as a person, I feel like what it was was more moving towards something that worked better for me. And so I feel like I was always looking for something that worked for me. And, and through those multiple experiences, I found parts of like, I love this uh, value of sustainability. I love this value of community and, and just finding these different people out there and, and applying that to my identity over the years. Um, and what happened was I, I found myself in Italy and uh, I was working on a construction site and because of course I'm clearly someone who does construction, um, hired for the right job there. Uh, and I was learning about, you know, c- cement stuff and plastering. I, I still wouldn't know what the hell I was doing if you put me there now today, but they trusted me with it somehow. And I had worked in fashion years before, which is, you know, hard to believe looking at me now, but I did. I worked in high fashion many years before and I had lots of friends in Milan from the company I used to work with. And so they invited me after this experience in Italy, where I was doing all this sort of uh, labor type work to go to a party in Milan and stay with them. And I got there and I had like my shoes were bricks of cement, literally just bricks of cement. And I didn't have money to buy any shoes. And my friend's like, what are you going to wear to the party tonight? I kind of looked down and said, well, well, this. And and I realized in that moment, and literally that moment, I said, I don't want to do this the way that I'm doing this anymore. I need to be able to afford certain things because this isn't the quality of life that I want to continue to have. Like it's been great, but I think I'm done with this chapter. So of course I did what I always did and went back to the UK. I tried to get a job, got a job in a bar. Um, But luckily I came across someone on a dating site who worked from home in SEO. And the only thing that I heard as they were telling me about their job was, well, you work from home on your laptop. (laughs) for yourself <laughs> um and so I was just like wait, wait let's go back to that tell me everything um and I wasn't the most techie person literally I worked in farms I you know I didn't know how to even really use a computer properly but I bought myself a laptop and I was like teach me everything you know and within three months we started our first company and that, that was it I learned what a digital nomad was I learned what a virtual assistant was later down the line and I, I was hooked I was like I want to travel with money now I want to travel and be able to do things and have experiences that I wouldn't otherwise be able to have without money um so that that was really what made the switch it was the uh, cement shoes and the embarrassment that <laughs> hey <came with> that. <laughs> those cement shoes I feel like the high fashion world is one of those worlds where you could have like kind of walked in and be like yeah this is like you know what's happening now you know I'm like one of the cool kids you know like I want to go back to you said that you feel like when you first started traveling, you were running away from something. And it's really interesting to me because I was um, talking with a therapist a few years ago. And one of the things they told me was that people who like to travel, who get really into travel, tend to be running away from something. And I was like, I don't like personally, I was like, I was kind of trying to think about this. I'm like, what am I running away from? Like, what's the I, I was kind of like shocked by that and pushed back on that but what do you feel like what were you personally trying to run away from uh first of all I want to say I totally resonate that with that because I had heard that before I accepted it in myself and I was like hell no that's ridiculous um I guess like I said I I didn't grow up in the best area my I love my family dearly but the values that they hold are definitely not ones that I hold or uh, and was struggling with myself I guess yeah just finding things in places and 
ideas that worked for me was not happening where I was. And so I guess I've been chasing after these things while also trying to like shed myself of this. Well, what if I stayed here and I would have like a crappy job and I would, you know, I don't know, end up in a welfare housing or really just trying to shed the identity of which has been the majority of my background, you know, the people around me. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's not, it wasn't sitting with me. And I also felt somehow different to them, which I would later realize was just that I was super ADHD, but I felt that I wasn't connecting with anybody there. And so I felt unhappy in myself. Um, Mm. And by collecting these experiences and collecting ideas and collecting friendships that were of a a different type of uh, caliber, I guess, you know, while I was running, I guess, at the same time, I was also seeking. Um, But I I guess shedding that identity that I I felt was sort of painted on me from birth. Does that make sense? Yeah. I like how you put that, that, you know, you were seeking because I think I agree with that more. I think that you know, running away can, sure, like sometimes you can be running away from something, but I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people aren't necessarily running away from something. They're trying to run towards something and they don't know Mm -hmm. what that something is, but something isn't clicking for them wherever they are. And yeah, perhaps that you can say that they're running away from the realities of their life because they're searching for something. Um, And I find that to be a very common thing. Like, you know, this is why I tell people who are like in their teens, like, hey, like go out there and travel because you have no idea what you're going to find. And sometimes like when you travel and you said like you made different caliber of friends, it's like there's this filter that happens for people who like figure out how to long-term travel no matter how that is. And that filter mm-hmm. can kind of like weed out the people that you don't want to be around and leave only the people that you want to be around with. So um, mm-hmm. I, I totally resonate with kind of like your interest in seeking something. But uh I do want to touch on something here that is another similarity that I'm finding between us. And that's that we've both done a whole bunch of different things, right? Like uh, you've worked in fashion. I actually worked in quote unquote fashion as well myself. You worked in, you know, construction. I worked as a lifeguard for many years. We've both done a whole bunch of different things. And I'm curious whether, do you feel like that has made you a better entrepreneur or better at what you do today? Or do you feel like you wish that you know, you had kind of like focused in on what you do now earlier? I think it's made me a better entrepreneur. I think that um, seeing different perspectives from different types of models of not just business, but also living and then integrating that into what I have now. Um, if I didn't have any of that experience, I wouldn't be where I am. Simple as that. that that's the first thing. Um, it wouldn't have led me to where I am today. But I think just having various diverse perspectives on what could be a common situation, um, you know, in, in, even if that's just, you know, culturally different ideas about things. Um, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I don't really know how to answer that apart from yes. <laughs> I agree with that in terms of like, Hey, going through all these things tends to make you stronger or better at what you do down the road, but it can be a really difficult experience because like people tend to feel very like, like, you know, referring to the last thing that we talked about can feel very like lost and like they're looking for yeah. something. It can be really hard to get through that period of a whole bunch of things in order to eventually find whatever it is that you feel comfortable with that makes you happy that you get rewarded with. Mm. Do you have any tips for people who are maybe in that period right now where are where they are jumping through a lot of different things who are searching for their thing? Like, how can you, how do you keep yourself going through that? Honestly, I I think when I was doing that, I didn't have that feeling of 
feeling lost um, because at the time it was like just an excitement, like the new, the new, the new, the new. Um, but I think, you know, it got to a point where I was feeling lost and that's when I started to make a change. And I think that when you do get to that point, you are kind of forced with this situation of do I continue or do I, do I make a change? And, you know, I think most things in life making drastic changes comes from those moments of feeling really lost or really out of place or out of sorts. Um, but I would say, honestly, and maybe this isn't the best advice, but I would say lean into that because you don't need to find one thing. I think this is maybe the misconception here is that you do need to find one thing. Like I, you say, has this stuff affected my entrepreneurship? Yes, because my entrepreneurship is changing all the time as well. Um, entrepreneurship is one thing, but within that is these multiple branches and all these multiple dimensions of my interests. So I think that actually accepting that maybe there are multiple things that you can be pulled to and you can actually make something with that instead of feeling like you have to find the one thing. I think that's the concept that's not vibing with me overall if that makes sense yeah i think like when maybe we're like the last generation that was getting drilled with this idea of like like not niche down is very like online entrepreneur terms but like hey yeah. what's your career what do you want to be when you grow up man like you know what i mean like these sort of questions i feel like have really come out of style because they've been proven to be incorrect do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. now like having this multidimensional personality is a good thing because it like, I don't know, makes you more interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like the person mm -hmm. you're going to work with in your business who also likes to play tennis is going to be the person that you, you know, kind of like end up working with or, 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 you know, having some sort of relationship down the road. So I definitely agree with that, but don't you also feel like in business you need to have some sort of like, Hey, this is my circle. These are the things that I focus on and not necessarily jumping from like wildly different things all the time. Or, or do you think that you can do that? Yes and no. Uh, I, maybe we can bring it back to the conversation about the home base. Imagine the business is like you've got the home base, you've got your main thing, and then you kind of, you're in a position where you're able to explore other avenues. Um, but you still have that mm. home base where you sort of got your, your base income, what people know you for but then you have that ability to branch into other areas if you have diverse interests. Um, I think that entrepreneurship is great for that. It really um, allows for that. Um, but yeah, I guess I would agree. Having like your one thing, your, your go-to thing is is helpful. But to get to that, I don't think you need that immediately. You can play with it. Um, and, you know, for me, it definitely wasn't. I didn't grow up and think I want to be a virtual assistant trainer. You know, I didn't even know what that was or anything in the realm of working online because, again, wasn't a thing. Um but it's something that grew from multiple areas of interest. Um, so yeah, I guess having the one, and then, and then I realized it's working and I realized I enjoy it, but I didn't not enjoy the journey to it, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I have a friend, uh, Matt, who has a successful like affiliate uh, website. And one of the things that he always talks about is that like, it's in quite a boring field. It's about like pool care and like pool chemicals and this kind of stuff. And he's like, the thing that keeps me going is that, I can like jump out and like make like a rap video or like whatever, you know, he does yeah. these like crazy fun projects and then <laughs> that kind of re-energizes him to come back and write about pool care. So I totally understand yeah. that. I want to, let's shift a little bit and talk about the digital nomad kit, which is your business. And I'm very curious about, maybe this isn't like that sexy of a question, but where did the <laughs> name come from? Like why digital nomad kit when you're doing kind of like VA type things or training yeah. VAs, I should say. 
Well, like I said, training videos was never on the cards for me. It kind of came about. <laughs> Digital Nomad Kit was born from the idea that um, I actually wanted to do some sort of drop shipping thing where there were like kits that people could buy. It's a terrible idea looking back, but it was when I just got started. Um, kits of things. So like you, if you were a photographer nomad, you could buy like the photographer kit or you could buy like the, I don't know. I, I can't even think of anything now, but these different kits that never materialized um, because what happened was I started a group, a Facebook group called Digital Nomad Kit. Um, and in there, I was sharing my journey as a virtual assistant because that's what I was doing to support myself. Um, and uh, it kind of just naturally evolved from there. So yeah, that was the idea. But um, I thought about getting rid of the name a few years ago when I met um, a friend of mine, Kit, uh, <laughs> for the first time. And she was like, I hate you. I want a Digital Nomad <laughs> Kit as my domain and you have it. <laughs> Um, but then no, I held on to it because people started to recognize me for it. And I thought, well, you know, consistency helps. You know, I think I remember digital nomad kit being like, and this is funny because I was like, I feel like this was a completely selfish question, by the way, because I feel like <laughs> I remember that, but I was like, was I dreaming this like years ago or like, what was it like where you were kind of doing like a, a pack of items that you could purchase as like a starter kit to be a digital nomad, right? It was it was something like that. I never actually got to doing it, so maybe that was someone else. <laughs> you never actually had like a, a packet no. of things that you could oh so you just had like the domain and then <laughs> rolled the with idea. It. Yeah. Oh interesting. I like, I like, maybe the, I like the sound of that. <laughs> maybe I did drink that now. Now this is like I was like going into this, I was like, I'm sure that's what it was. She's gonna tell me that's what it was. I'm not gonna be crazy. And now you've just told me, Miko, you're crazy. So this is great. Uh no, 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 you're not crazy. There used to be a website, maybe it exists still. I think it was just called kit.co and it had stuff like that. I think Peter Levels used to share stuff like that. Um so okay. there definitely was something. It wasn't me though. Gotcha. So how did you then go from this Facebook group where we were talking about, you know, your journey as a virtual assistant to saying like, I'm going to train virtual assistants now? Like, how did that transition happen? And like why have you decided, like, why has this become kind of your, your focus? Like, what was it about it that you were like, this is, this is my focus now? Um, I guess when I was sharing what was happening for me, uh, I realized that my results were potentially not typical because people seem to be like, well, oh my God, like you, you got that client and oh my God, like you made that much money and you know, all these kinds of things keep coming up. Um, and so it was more from the demand people asking me, well, how are you doing this? Where are you finding these clients? How are you getting this kind of work? Um, how are you learning these things? I would like to say these things came naturally to me, but of course not. It, you know, it was a few years of really hard work. Um, and I, like I said, I, I do think that my previous experience put me in a position of confidence, put me in a uh, position of understanding how to deal with uh, diverse ranges of people. Um, I have a lot of PR experience from when I worked in fashion. Um, so I guess it's all culminated to this point where I was really excelling in this field that I never thought I'd be in. Uh, and people were asking me directly for, for help with this. And actually, that's how I started my, my free challenge that I, I still run to this day. Um, I did it on a whim. I was like, well, let's let's put together a free five day training. Um, and literally every day I sort of made the content for it in the day and was like, well, this must this kind of sounds like the right next step and um and it worked and then people were like well is there a course so I, you know whipped a course together <laughs> it's, it's obviously grown and, and and evolved and matured since then but that's kind of it was it was humble beginnings and there was a demand for it I saw that people needed it I saw that people were were, were really lost actually in the online space um and obviously it was profitable as well I'm not going to lie there's, there's a money element to every business um 
so yeah, there, there was there was a need. There was there was money to be made. There were people that needed it, and um, I kind of just naturally fell into it, I guess. So for people that are listening that are maybe not as familiar with this, obviously virtual assistant and VA is a pretty common term in the digital mm-hmm. nomad quote unquote world. But how do you essentially present? the differences between a virtual assistant and a freelancer? Like how do you separate the two or do you not separate them? I don't really. The term virtual assistant for me is kind of like an umbrella term for people who assist people virtually, which is kind of all service providers. Um, what you decide to call yourself beyond then is semantics and up to you, it's choice. But I think the term virtual assistant is where a lot of people start when they start working online. Um, it, it's something they, they're very likely to come across. Um, and from that you can evolve and you can... Um, Uh, sort of niche down in the business sense this time uh, into something that's working for you or something that you're really interested in to to sort of move into the copywriter position or the funnel building expert or whichever direction you choose to go in. But ultimately, I think virtual assistance as an umbrella term uh, covers the whole scope. Yeah, that's something that like whenever I meet people who like say they're virtual assistants, I always want to tell them like to not like introduce themselves that way because it doesn't allow for referrals, right? Like referrals are Mm -hmm. a a main, statistically speaking, a main way that like service businesses get work. And if you introduce yourself as a virtual assistant, that doesn't really help whoever you're speaking with to say like, Mm -hmm. oh, you do copywriting for e-commerce stores. I know a whole bunch of e-commerce writers, right? Like this sort of like when you introduce yourself that way, it helps to facilitate those referrals. So I I like that you kind of like use it as an umbrella term. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are like the pros and cons of, you know, somebody becoming a virtual assistant? I mean, I guess the pros are the flexibility, the location independence, the ability to change who you're working with, how you work with them, what kind of tasks, what you're charging. If you want to upskill in certain areas, you can do that. Um I guess a lot of the things that come with remote jobs across the board, you know, um, the flexibility, the freedom, those, those are really big ones. Uh, and then I guess some of the cons are if you're not someone who's naturally self-disciplined, self-motivated, which is stuff you can learn, of course, but it, it can be tricky for some. Um, probably, you know, if you're not finding enough clients in the beginning, you don't have a good big enough cushion to sort of launch into this career right away. Um, yeah, I, I, get, I think a lot of the cons really are around um, – you know, filling up your, your, your calendar with clients. I think that that's, that's something that a lot of people do struggle with. Um, and once they get to that point that they have a full, full roster of clients, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's kind of, uh, goes from win, from win, win to win from there. But in the beginning stages, I think a lot of people do struggle and they'll bail right at the beginning, which is the worst time to bail because you need to learn from those experiences in the beginning. Uh, so I guess some of the cons, it's just, it's not the easiest thing to start. I, I think it's one of the easiest ways to start working online, but that doesn't mean it's easy still, um, like any type of business. Um, and so you really do have to have a certain level of um, persistence and thick skin and um, adaptability. You know, if, if something's not working, being okay with changing it a little bit. Um, so I think the cons are just, you know, that, that that can be difficult for some. And specifically to the virtual assistant world, I guess one of the cons is a lot of the stereotypes that come with virtual assistants, which is around, you know, oh, you, you're you just going to get paid like $5 an hour or $3 an hour. But that's not necessarily the case. There, There's a whole range of virtual assistants from $2 an hour to $150 an hour. So I think um, the cons for the career at large is that there's still this 
big um, issue going on with, um, you know, underpayment and, and not valuing people's skills. And there, there is a big pushback on that. So it's, you know, coming up against that in the career is going to happen. But if you decide to, uh, you know, move towards, you know, follow the money, follow where people actually have money and, and network and get jobs through referrals instead of Upwork and that kind of thing, then um, you can leave that behind. But I guess it can be discouraging for people if they see that, because that's really what you see when you search it right away. Yeah, I think the virtual assistant term has kind of um, had a similar, has has followed a similar path as like the digital nomad kind of term yes. where you think VA and you think like, like you said, like low paid $5 an hour, $10 an hour, like whatever it may be. The same way that like when somebody says digital nomad, you think Instagram influencer who lives in Bali and has a 12 pack abs and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, those are very yeah. different things. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I think this is also why, like, like whenever I work with people who are doing, like, who say they want to be virtual assistants, I'm always like, okay, but, like, you need to separate yourself kind of from that term eventually because otherwise you're going to get grouped with people who are on Upwork or Fiverr or whatever, and, like, everyone's going to compare you with that. So uh, that's mm -hmm. why I love that you say, like, hey, like, you know, like, it's an umbrella term, but what mm -hmm. you do is kind of, like, within that. And I want to mention... I, this is kind of like a really big question that I had for you and you kind of segued into that very nicely. And it's, it's actually something that I think about quite a bit and it's, you know, research and statistics shows us that freelancing, uh, and this sort of not necessarily a nine to five path is going to be a far larger part of, you know, the economy going forward. There's going to be a lot more freelancers. There's going to be a lot more contractors out there. The issue with that, though, is that it's quite a bit more difficult of a path than the regular nine to five kind of route, which has been well stomped out. Everybody knows exactly what to do to get mm -hmm. into that. And I think this is why a lot of people don't do what, you know, what we try to help people do or like what we're doing. What do you think mm -hmm. we can do to make that easier, to essentially balance the scales and make becoming a freelancer, a virtual assistant, a contract or whatever it may be as easy as the go to college, get a nine to five job and stick with it kind of thing. Mm, that's a big question. I guess some of the things you could do, obviously, you know, between the two of us and, and multiple other people out there providing resources that are easily accessible, that make sense to people and in terminology they understand is one. Um, but secondly, actually on a grander scale, if, if I could have this my way, one of the, the big things that I always wanted to do with Digital Nomad Kit was to actually work with the UK government to have training for freelancing in the curriculum for people on welfare because you have to, you you are made to go and take these courses if you find yourself on welfare. Um, but what if there was another option that made freelancing just as you know an easy option for, for people to to find their way off of welfare? Um, so I think actually working with government institutions because people you know when people come to me to learn about virtual assistants. The first thing they say is, well, what do I do about the legal setup? And what do I do about, you know, they're so scared of the authority that, you know, they have to, you know, go to uh, open a business. They have to file differently for taxes. They have to do their own taxes. I think this is a really overwhelming topic for a lot of people. And my advice is always go to your local chamber of commerce because literally they're there to serve you. And people are really scared of the government and scared of the tax man and scared of they're literally there to serve you and there are resources there for you that can help you. Uh, also grants and all kinds of things. So I think the next level of this, making this accessible and making this really um, 
an easier path for people is to start partnering with governmental institutions so that they can provide the resources to make this easier for people because they, they exist. It's just that people don't realize they exist because they're afraid of it and it's not been a priority until now. Now it is a priority. Now I think governments should be looking towards entrepreneurship and self-employment as a viable way to, to live your life now. So I think that's something I would still like to look into personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. you got to have the right contacts and that kind of stuff. But that's down the line. <laughs> yeah, I think like it's it's we've been playing this like catch up game that, you know, like it feels mm. like it's always been like this. But on a global scale, things tend to move slow. And so, you know, mm. you almost have this like, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like these phases of digital nomadism. Right. And we're kind mm. of like at the beginning of this third phase where now post COVID, everybody's like, oh, this like remote thing is like kind of like legit. It's like here to stay, you know? And so I think we're finally at a point where like there's enough momentum on this side of things that governments are like, oh, okay. Like we need to actually like shift what we do in order to like, like actually like work for this percentage of, of, of people. And I think, you know, the remote visas are a sign of that happening. But I'm also like interested in like, how do you think universities or higher education um, providers can better adjust for this sort of like, uh, you know, freelancing online work sort of like movement? Because at the moment, universities are still teaching like, go get a job after this. And maybe that yeah. future isn't there in 10 years. It won't be as easy to just go out there and get a nine to five job. Mm. I or mean, do you think universities are not the people to do this? Like, are people like yourself, the people that are going to kind of like pick up that mantle because there's so many different ways to teach this? I think it's a combination. I think, you know, even down to early years schooling, I think there needs to be the financial literacy stuff about entrepreneurship. That's just, it, it hasn't been happening. I see it starting to happen in, in some areas, but uh, I think universities specifically. So my, my wife studied um media and convergence management. It's just kind of like tech, media, and all that kind of stuff um, combined. Um, and one of the things that came up for me, I was listening into one of the, the they had online lectures last year during COVID, um, was just how out of touch with the reality of working as an entrepreneur um, their content was. It was really, it was kind of like 1980s advertising type of, and I'm sitting in the background going, I want to jump in and like, <laughs> and say stuff constantly but i don't want to like professor you're full of shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i'm in the background going no no." and then i thought to myself you know they need to have real life nowadays entrepreneurs coming in and speaking in these lectures and talking about the actual experiences and i think you know work experience opportunities with startups and that kind of thing and that's starting of course but i think that needs to be the norm because this stuff is based on stuff that we don't do anymore. It's just not the reality of entrepreneurship in the way that it's evolved to be now. Um, so, yeah, I think just up to dateness. And that, that means speaking with people, you know, of, of our age. I don't know what age you are. I assume we're similar um, who have been doing this for a while now. And, and it's not like we're the um, Steve Jobs of the world or the Mark Zuckerberg, but we're out there doing it and creating a great lifestyle for ourselves and a great income for ourselves. And that is something that people need to see. Um, you know, they're focusing on these big top players and these, these old school marketers and stuff. Um, that's, that's not realistic. So I think just having a realistic um, element brought in actual people. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually like, uh, like why I started like parable because like, I realized that so many of these like 
case studies that were being used in business school were from like the eighties or nineties or like had no like grounding in like what the business world is like today. And I was like, Oh, I'm sure somebody's doing this and like making case studies about like what online business looks like. And I was like, Oh, nobody is doing this. So like, that's why I kind of like got into that. Um, but along the kind of conversation of, you know, governments, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because I do think it's like a very important topic. It's one that I think will be solved in 20, 30 years. But unfortunately, for those of us going through it now, it's it's going to be almost like too late. I think one of the issues with being a freelancer, being a virtual assistant or a contractor, or whatever it may be, is that when you stop working, the money stops coming in. And, you know, for like a regular nine to five kind of career, you have certain safety nets and there's people trying to create those safety nets. But what do you tell people who are virtual virtual assistants, freelancers about that? Like, what if they get hurt? What if they get sick? Like, are there certain things that you teach so that if something were to happen, uh, they're not screwed? Yeah. And I guess a lot of what I've been talking about is very US focused. So I can't speak for everywhere, but, um, you know, having something like a solo 401k can be helpful for that. Um, obviously for a nomad, having something like safety wing for, for the day to day. Um, but one of the things that I'm actually moving into now, uh, as I said, cause I've got my core thing and then I can move into areas that I'm excited about is, is more financial literacy across the board. So for myself, I, I, have investments across the board that I know will serve me into old age, even if I stopped working now. Um, so that's something I want to focus on. I haven't really done it to, to date, so I won't go into it too much now, but it's something that I'm working on is building a, a sort of mini resource on, on financial literacy for freelancers for this exact purpose of, of feeling like they have a safety net in old age specifically. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I can't speak on it much right now, but that, that's, that's where I'm heading next really in, in this next iteration of digital nomad kit resources. In terms of like business models, do you feel like or do you see from your perspective people that kind of like enter the freelancing world, they figure out their service and then kind of like move up the ladder in terms of like creating some sort of agency or productized service or something like that so that, you know, they can hand off some things or do you see most people sticking to their like, I'm the sole provider of the service? I'd say it's about 50-50. After a couple of years, a lot of people do move into either online business management, running an agency, or coupling that with having some sort of product on the side, or moving into consulting. That's a really big one as well, because if you're doing all this stuff for people anyway, you have a hell of a lot of knowledge. And I've seen a lot of people uh, getting hired by remote companies to come in and do a session for $1,000 on how to set up Airtable with their company. Um, So I think that there's multiple routes and I think probably about 50-50 when it comes to how many people are actually taking those routes and how many people uh, stick with the the service-based stuff ongoing. Yeah, because like I think like that's one way where even if you are a freelancer, but finding like one or two people that you can work with that can take some things off of you so that, I don't know, you can take a vacation and the money doesn't stop or like if you do yes. want to one day kind of like grow it past you know just you you have like kind of like the building blocks of that i think it's really smart to like i find so many people that are like i'm a freelancer or i'm a virtual assistant so i can't hire anybody to work with me and i always kind of push back on i'm like no you probably like should bring somebody on to help you out do you agree with that or 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 no yeah, no, I'm absolutely behind that. And and one of the things that I always, so I have a, a paid program and we have inside that we have um, 
uh, a, a really close knit community and we have people coming to me. So I have one branch of my business where people hire me to find them virtual assistants. Um, and one of the big benefits of that is that I, I always say to them, if your virtual assistant needs to go on vacation or is sick or something comes up, they have backup and the support of people who are trained in the mm. same thing by me. And they have these peers that they connect with on a daily basis. So I always say one of the best things you can do as a virtual assistant is to have a close-knit friend group of other virtual assistants in different disciplines and similar disciplines. Not to see that as competition, but to see that as also a safety net. So yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, because they like essentially work as strategic partners as well, right? Where like, yeah. hey, we're all working with these different clients and like, you know, if I'm a copywriter and my friend is a web developer and my client says, like, oh, I'm looking for a web developer. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pass this on to my friend because then someday when they need a copywriter, they'll pass somebody mm -hmm. on to me. So I love this sort of like have your your little like Avengers group that like helps each other yeah. out, you know, in like Marvel <laughs> nerd terms. Um, okay, this is kind of a controversial question here in terms of right. freelancing virtual assistant. Upwork or not Upwork? Like which Upwork. do you think you – not Upwork. So you say like, yeah. stay away from it completely. Why do you say that? I don't say stay away from it completely. I say I recommend to stay away from it completely, um, but do whatever you want in, in any way. But I know that some people do have success on it. And I know that it is a, a viable way to earn money and definitely get your foot in the door. But ultimately, I've trained almost 15,000 people now. I know that it's not the best way. Um, the best way is literally to go out there, market yourself, um, build yourself a bountiful network, get referrals, um, be in the right place with the right people and be confident in your ability, not just applying to jobs, but creating opportunities for yourself. That is the way that most businesses are built. And that's ultimately, I think, the shift of feeling like you're applying to jobs versus you're out there actively seeking work, um, it, not applying to jobs, but creating these opportunities, creating um, a space for yourself. And that when I see people moving from Upwork to sort of moving into this uh, sort of outreach type uh, situation, the money that they make tenfolds, um, the the caliber of client they have tenfolds, um, the opportunities that come their way as well. So I, I'm not anti Upwork. I just don't necessarily think it's the best way to build a business because ultimately it's a business when you're a virtual assistant. You are running your own um, single person business. So you need to really treat it as such. If you want to earn the kind of money that you expect to be earning as an entrepreneur, uh, you need to treat it in that sense. And I think that Upwork can undermine that, especially because if people are trying to hire VAs, especially if they're new to this, you know, hiring, the first thing they're going to see when they search is, you know, Upwork profiles and they're going to go on there and maybe they don't have a big budget and they go, oh, great, it's really cheap on here. And then they expect that. They expect those kind of rates. Mm. But you've got this whole other realm of entrepreneurship where you've got, you know, in-person networking events, you've got Facebook groups, you've got LinkedIn communities um, where there are people out there actually, you know, running big, great businesses who are willing to pay for your expertise. Um, and, and, th and that's really what I, I tell people to move towards. So, yeah, I'm probably in the yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend Upwork. But again, there are some people uh, who are who are needles in the haystack who do really make it on there. So I'm not completely canceling it out, but that, that's just my view on it. Yeah, I say like if you want to use Upwork, use it as a marketing channel, not as your business. Because that's like when yeah, I find yeah. people whose entire business is based on like I get all my clients off of Upwork. I'm always like red flag, like red. Okay, like you know, use it as like there's all these other like you know, LinkedIn has their own freelancing platform and like TopTow. There's so many of these different ones where like use them as like little marketing channels to feed you clients. Don't like build your yes. business on top of it because. That's scary. You know, you don't own that, those clients, essentially. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
But Hannah, I want to say thank you so much uh, for being on here. 45 minutes just flew by uh, so quickly. Let people know where can they learn more about you? Where can they find you online? And then you also mentioned that VA challenge, which I believe you do every two months, right? So where can people uh, join that? Where can they learn more about it uh, if they want to become virtual assistants? Sure. Thank you. Uh, you can find me anywhere online, Digital Nomad Kit. So you can go to the website. I have all my links in there. So you can just go to the website. Um, Which is you and not all... your friend, Kit. So yeah. No, it's it's me. It's not her. <laughs> um, <laughs> DigitalNomadKit.com. You'll also find on the website there the link to the free challenge. I run it every two to three months. Depends on how I'm feeling, really. <laughs> what time of year it is. If I'm, you know, where I am in the world. Uh, but you, you, if you sign up, you'll be on the next one. You'll get lots of goodies in the meantime, and it's a really great place to uh, figure out if this is something you'd like to pursue and and where you would find yourself within that. So it's it's a great kickstart. Well, perfect. Hannah, thank you so much for coming by. And uh, hopefully this time in Mexico, we won't just miss each other. We'll have some overlap to get the hangout. But uh, seriously, thank you so much for coming on and uh, all the best. Thank you very much.